0: Right, I'm going to ask you to please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. That's, uh, you can see on the left hand, is it, it's my left hand, I hope it's your left hand. I think, I think that's how it's positioned on the screen. Uh, I'm going to preach to you this morning a sermon called Launching Out, and as a jumping off spot, I'm going to read along with you Luke chapter 5 and verse 4. Now if you want to follow along on the screen, please feel free uh, I would encourage you however if you have your Bible to to go ahead and open it and if you'd like to make some marks as we go through this this passage this morning we'll actually go verse by verse down from verses 1 to 11 but just want to introduce it by reading a couple of verses here before we pray. Luke 5 verse 4 it says now when he had left speaking he said unto Simon launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft and then this passage ends down here in verse 11 it says and when they had brought their ships to land they forsook all and followed him and that's why we want to talk about launching out today it brought them to this happy end of following jesus with all their heart mind soul and strength so if you would let's bow your heads let's pray together and ask god to help us as we cover this passage father thank you this morning that Our sins are under the blood, and you've given us a book that talks about it, and we have the blessed hope of one day gathering together in heaven. Lord, all of this is made possible because you sent your Son to this earth, not only to die for us, but to live for us, to give us an example, to give us the teachings that we have. And Lord, we appreciate all of it. Thank you for this new year. We have a chance today to launch out, to learn something about forsaking all to follow you. Please speak to our hearts and please fill me with your spirit. I pray that you'd help us now to focus on uh, this passage and what you have to say to us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, uh, we're gonna come back to verse number one if I can control the screen properly. And there are four things I'd like to bring out and bring to your attention about this passage. Starting in verse number one, we're gonna talk about a little From the land. Now with the new year, right? We are launching out. This is we're launching into a new year, and with with any launch, you have a launch sequence, don't you? Uh, There's a countdown. I don't know if you guys used to do or do this. Um, I used to when I was younger. I don't do it anymore. I don't stay up for the new year, right? I was staring at the back of my eyelids when 2021 was born. Um, I guess I'm just getting too old to stay up for it. However. There was a time where I I waited and watched that new year come into existence, and then there was a countdown. Everybody 10, 9, 8, and so forth, and 3, 2, 1, and then Happy New Year. Now, help yourself if you want to count it down, no problem. With any launch sequence, right? you get NASA sending rockets and spaceships to the moon or into outer space, there's a launch sequence. 3, 2, 1, blast off, and off you go. And Jesus has told the disciples here, launch out into the deep. And there's a sequence that goes with that. There's there's a bit of a countdown. You can't just start off in the deep. You've got to start somewhere. And we're going we're gonna to walk through that sequence here this morning and look at uh, what the disciples learned and, and where it ended them up. So launching out. In verse number one, it says, It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now we're going to see as the story progresses who these men were. It was Simon. Andrew is not named in the passage, but I, I think it's safe to assume that was Simon's brother, his older brother actually, Andrew. Uh, I think it's safe to assume that he was he was there. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were also there. Now the reason I think it's important to recognize who those men were. In verse two, it says the fishermen were gone out of them, out of their ships, their boats, and were washing their nets. Now, a lot of people, when they read Luke chapter five, even this this Bible program, it says Jesus calls the first disciples. And that's, that's not too terribly wrong. He is calling them, but this is not their first calling. This is not the first time that Jesus has met these men. So this is not the initial calling. This is the uh, third time, actually, that Jesus has met these men. Uh, The first meeting you read about in John chapter 1. The second meeting, you read about it in Matthew chapter 4, where he initially calls them into what we would know as discipleship, and that kind of was was a a bridge or a segue to get them into the ministry. And then Luke chapter 5, as as you're going to see, this is this is a story about the disciples having a failed launch, right? The launch sequence, the countdown happened in Matthew 4. It started off, it looked pretty good, and then it didn't happen fully. Luke 5 gives us the happy ending of this relaunch, if you will. So let, let me show you this in Matthew 4. If you want to turn to the cross-reference in your Bible, you're welcome to do so. But Matthew 4 verse 19, he saith unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This is a passage I think many of you would be familiar with. It says, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. Notice they left their nets. Now you can see who this is in verse 18. It's Simon called Peter. Now by the time that Jesus or when Jesus met them, In Matthew 4, he wasn't called Peter yet. So this is a fact that Matthew added or was able to add because he knew how the story ended. But Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother. So they left their nets. And verse 21, it says, And going on from thence, he, that's Jesus, saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship, and their father and followed him now notice they left the nets they left the ship now when we get to luke chapter 5 what we read in verse number 2 is they're back in the ship and they're washing the nets so they had forsaken it to follow jesus and now they've gone back to that old occupation now what's sinful about being a fisherman nothing nothing they're not living in open Sin, they're not being horribly wicked. they are just gone back to the way that they know how to live life. In verse number three, it says, And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, which that's our first point, little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, there's a couple things I want you to see in this passage. First of all, in verse number one, every time I read it, The same thing jumps off the page to me. The people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. I love the hunger that that phrase portrays. It it paints such a picture of people that are are so hungry, so desirous to hear that word of God. And the Bible says that, that we should be as newborn babes and we should desire Desire the sincere milk of the word. I love the desire that you, that you almost feel as you read that verse. They pressed upon him. Please, Jesus, please don't just give us your opinion or tell us funny stories or we want to hear the word of God. They're standing there at the lake. You know, thank God there wasn't COVID because they wouldn't be able to gather at the beach if there was, but they're there at the beach and said, listen, we'd, this is beautiful to see the sun come up over the water, and we love the, the view, and, but we'd rather hear the word of God. We've got to hear it. Jesus, please tell us something from the Bible. Tell us something from God. Now, Simon and his group, right, they had been out fishing all night. We're going to see this later in the passage. Jesus, the crowd evidently was so big, Jesus needed a bit of a pulpit And uh, he needed to be able to pull away from the people just enough so that he could preach and reach all of them. So he says, can I get in the boat? You guys thrust out a little. Now, I want you to see in verse 1, 2, and 3, there's no rebuke in this. He's not upset with the disciples because they've only gone out a little, right? Everybody's got to start here. This is where it starts. You, You start off thrusting out a little bit. And that little bit, that, those first steps you take in your Christian life is having that as a newborn babe, right? That's where it starts, baby, baby steps. Those As a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word. I think about a, the passage back there in Ezekiel chapter 47. It talks about how one day it's prophetic, how the temple is going to be rebuilt. And in that millennial time, there's going to be water running out from the temple and out to the east. And as that water runs out, it says you can go a thousand cubits and the water will rise to the ankles. And you go another thousand cubits and the water will rise to the knees. You go another thousand cubits and the water rises to the loins, to, to your waist area. And then you go another thousand and the water is so deep, it's risen so, so hot, you could swim in it so you see the progression there as you go out a little from the land right what what you're getting here the picture you're getting is this is where you hear the word of god and there's no shame in that everybody has to start here Now the problem is if you stay there you don't want to stay there and have a a shallow christianity and what i fear is that too many people, this is as far as they ever go. Thrust out a little from the land. And that's, they're happy to tick that box and say, well, went to church this morning, heard the word of God. That was exciting. That was fun, man. The music was good. I got to see my friends and that's it. They tick that box and that's as far as their Christianity will ever go. Now, there's no shame in thrusting out a little, in gathering together with God's people to hear the word of God. Everybody needs that. But God help us if the only thing you ever do is hear the word of God. It says in the book of James, and those of you that have attended church with us for our public meetings, you know, for years we've had a banner at the front of the church with James chapter 1. And a verse from that says, Be ye doers of the word and not Hearers only deceiving your own selves. And I think it's true. I think a lot of people get deceived. They begin to think that their Christianity, that their walk with God is something that it's not because they've simply heard the word. Now, I can't speak to the intentions of everybody that gathered on the shores of Gennesaret. I don't know why they gathered to hear the word. Did they have any intention of doing something with it? Did they want to go further? Maybe, maybe not. And the same thing is true this morning. I don't know the intentions of your heart, why you've tuned in to this program, whether you're watching live as I'm preaching it or if you're watching this later on. I don't know what your intentions are, what you plan to do with what you hear today. But please feel no shame in that you've heard the word and you got to start here, but it should not end here. You should get beyond that shallow stage. The waters should rise beyond the ankles and the knees and the loins, the way they should be waters to swim in. You should desire to get out there into the deep end of walking with God. I, I wanna show you another passage in Ezekiel chapter 33 that speaks about the idea of just hearing the word but not doing it. Having that mindset that hearing the word is enough. And what am I saying? That the shallow stages of Christianity is enough. And in Ezekiel, you can see the problem that the nation of Israel had. In verse number 30, Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. So they're bad-mouthing the preacher behind his back. And speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you. And hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord? Now, on the surface, that sounds okay, doesn't it? Come, let's let's go to church. Let's hear what the preacher has to say. But you're going to see as we go through this these next few verses, they had no intention in their heart of doing anything with the word of God. In verse 31, it says, And they, this is the Lord speaking, by the way, to Ezekiel, And they come unto thee as the people cometh. So, They have the wrong heart attitude, but they come just, and they look the same. They present themselves the same as the people that have the right attitude about this. They come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. They have no intention of going any further. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. So they're only interested in their own interest, right? They're only interested in, God, I want you to make my life work out according to my plans. Fulfill my dreams, wishes, and wants. Verse 32, And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. He said, Ezekiel, you are simply entertainment to them. They do not view you as a source of edification. They wanna hear a few funny stories, something that they can talk about later, even gossip about. Verse 33, and when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. Now, you'd have to know the rest of the chapter and the really the book of Ezekiel. Be familiar with it to appreciate that last phrase. When he says, lo, it will come, he's talking about all the destruction that God had promised upon the nation of Israel and the punishment. He said, when, when your prophecies, Ezekiel, come to pass, then they'll know that you weren't just singing a song for entertainment's sake, but you were telling them the truth and trying to warn them they should have done something with what Ezekiel had said. Now, bringing you back to Luke chapter five. So no shame in, in starting off a little from the land, Everybody's got to be there, start there. And from time to time, you need to go back there. You can't spend all day out in the deep. You got to come back to the shore from time to time. But everybody needs this next moment. Verse number four. It says, now when he had left, left speaking, so the sermon's over, church is dismissed. Thank you for coming. You may go home. He said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft, for a, 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 a massive amount of fish. Now, this brings us to our next point. Launch into the deep. If you want to make a mark in your Bible, this word launch out, you might see it there. Launch, I'm using the wrong, I mean, launch out. In verse three, do you see where it says thrust out? That's, that's the same Greek word, thrust out, launch out. Now, in one place, it's thrust out a little. The next place is launch out into the deep. So at one point, this is a Jesus command, thrust out a little. That's Jesus's command. Nothing wrong with that. But then after the public service was done, Jesus turned to Simon. And we're going to see Simon had some other people with him. But he turns to Simon personally as the owner of that boat says, launch out into the deep. You know, I've seen this many times in our church, and it's, it's been such a blessing to watch this happen over the years. After a church service, there's a few people that have done this. The, 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 the mass of people have gone out, and they're chatting outside or in their cars heading to the house. and There are a few people that just sit there in the church and uh, they might be by themselves sometimes it's a husband or wife or a boyfriend girlfriend or something they just sit there looking staring forward at the pulpit and they'll sit there until we're completely packed up and we've counted everything and we're done and we're about ready to head to the house and and we have they're, they're as we lock the doors they're heading out and I I asked, after after a while, I asked some of these folks, why why do you do this? What's going on? Because you don't see any, they're not talking to anyone. They just sit there. And they said, Pastor, we're just letting it sink in. The Lord, what was happening is, is we had the public service. We had thrust out a little, but now the Lord was speaking to them individually. They were taking that next step. They were thinking, how am I personally going to apply everything I just heard? They're just soaking it in. That was them getting into verse 4, launching out into the deep. In verse 5, and Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night. Now notice the we. We have toiled. So Simon's not alone. As I said, I assume Andrew's with him. That's his brother and fishing partner. And later on, James and John come into view. So they've been out in the water all night. Now, they're not fishing right off the shore. They've been in their boats all night. We have toiled all night and have taken nothing. They were using their nets. You go out into the deep, throw those nets. They've been out there doing this in the deep. This is something I never noticed about this passage before. Every time I've read verse 4 and I get to launch out into the deep, I always think, okay, now this is Jesus saying, get out there into the uncharted waters. It's time for you to get out into that dangerous, risky area and do something you've never done. Now, I will say, there's a time in your life that you do need to take those type of steps where you need to get out of your comfort zone and do something you've never done, tried something you've never tried. I I think that's healthy. But you don't do it just for the sake of doing something dangerous. Don't do it just because it's risky and I want to have a great story to tell. Launch out into the deep, yes, but when the master says so. When you feel Jesus speaking to your heart, whispering in your heart, saying it's time for you to take that next step. Now notice here, when he says launch out into the deep, Jesus was not telling them, go do something you've never done. He was telling them, go right back to doing what you've always done. Some of you, you've been getting up and going to work for what is it, 20, 30 years? Every day, man, right back to it, right back to it. And you come home and you feel like, man, I've toiled all day, I've toiled all night and have taken nothing. I'm I'm not making any progress. My business isn't working out. My marriage is not improving. Uh, My friends, I'm struggling with them. They're putting pressure on me. Just life in general, every day you get up and you just go through the motions of it. You think, ah, man, here we go again. You know what Jesus says to these men? Launch out into the deep. But Jesus, we were just there. We worked all night. And we took nothing. This seems useless to do it again. But he says, launch out. 2021, where, where are we starting? In lockdown. Some of you might be looking at this year going, oh boy, here we go again. I'm going through another difficult year. I'm going to have to work things out. My business, my marriage is still struggling. and My kids, things aren't going well there. I, oh, what am I going to do? Jesus says, hey, come here. L- listen to the word as it's preached and then personally says to you, launch out into the deep. But I've been there. I've done that. But But here's the difference. At the end of verse five, here's the difference. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net there's the difference. That's the pivotal moment where Simon hears Jesus say, now go back out into the deep and let down the nets. He says, okay, I'll do it. It doesn't, since I've worked all night, it doesn't seem that it would work to go right back to that same spot, throw the nets into the same area. But master, if you say so, okay, we'll go do it. You know what? Simon is learning here. He's learning the power of doing things according to Jesus's word. That's the lesson. What does it mean to launch out into the deep? It doesn't mean find something dangerous to do, find something you've never done and go do that. That, that, That's not launching into the deep according to this passage. If I'm understanding it's right, if I'm understanding the passage correctly, when, when we think of launch out into the deep, I, I, I might go right back to doing what I've done. That is, I have my job, I have my family. I'm going to go live my life, but nevertheless, I'm going to do it according to Jesus' word. So what, what's changing in this story is not the what or the where. It's the how and the why. That's what's changing. You know, this past year I preached quite a bit from the the teachings and preaching of Jesus himself. We went through the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then I actually went back through the Beatitudes and preached each one of them. I've been preaching to you about love. Gave you some stuff from uh, 1 John about that and then also from the life of Christ. And then Garrett, he gave us a wonderful sermon about What Jesus taught about love and man there is so much that we can apply right that if we were we can take those lessons and apply them to our everyday lives and it's not that we have to quit our jobs it's not that we have to get a new family it's that we will treat the family differently we will treat the job and think about the job from a different perspective looking at it through God's eyes and approaching it God's way Look what happens in verse number six. In verse six, it says, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. I like it. You say, all right, well, here's what I do. In order to have my business be prosperous and my family to get fixed, and in order for everything in my life to come right, I just have to do it according to the word of Jesus. Watch this. When you do it according to the word of Jesus, yes, things will improve, but improvement may not, the way you can think of improvement, it may not be the improvement that God's going for. Right? It could be that the business goes belly up. It could be that the marriage relationship doesn't come right because, listen, not all of that's in your control. There's other people involved. In a business, there are customers. In a marriage, there's your spouse. In your family, there's the children. There's parents. There's other people involved. They have to make decisions. It might be your health that's not coming right. Some of this is beyond your control. So you can do only what you can do. And that is be obedient to what Jesus said. Apply his teachings to your everyday life. And for some of you, that might be a scary step. That might be a new thing that you haven't done before. And this would be a great time, as the new year is dawning, to say, let me have a new approach to to, to things, to life, a new attitude. Let me think about things the way God told me to. And when you do, it's it's not necessarily going to make everything come right in a prosperity gospel kind of way. You know what's going to happen? You are going to find a peace and a joy within that passes all understanding. Jesus said, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Right? He said, That's why I'm saying these things to you, so that in me you might have peace. In Philippians, Paul talked about the peace that passes all understanding. We read about in Psalm 23 where David said, My cup runneth over. But just a verse or two before that, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So it's not that everything around you comes right. No, it, it could be that. The answer to your business, to your marriage, to your family problems, to your health problems, it could be that just applying some biblical principles could make those things come Right? But when you do things according to the word of God and make an active effort to not only hear what God has to say, but do it. Make a purposeful effort at doing it God's way. Even if the net doesn't break with fishes, right? even if your bank account doesn't break with money, your heart burst forth with joy and peace and contentment. Right, Godliness with contentment is great gain. You will be able to rest much easier at night knowing I did it God's way. That is true success. Right? In the book of Malachi, it talks about when you put God first, and specifically Malachi 3 is talking about money there, tithes and offerings and all that. But it says if, if you bring your tithe to the storehouse, God's promise is then he blesses that, and you. when he sends back the blessing, you won't have room enough to receive it, right? Malachi 3.10. That's what they got here, the net break. They didn't have nets strong enough, big enough to handle this. And the way I've experienced it in my life, when I actively attempt to apply the word of God, there's such a joy that comes into the heart that the cup runs over, the heart just breaks, and it's tears, but of joy man, I've, I've done it God's way and, and he's happy with that. And I've done it, the be- that's the best I can do. Their nets break. Watch this. When you launch out into the deep, when you change not necessarily what you're doing, right? I'm talking about like a career or something like that. You're not changing the what or the where. You're going back to work. You're going back to your home. But you change the why and the how. When you do that, That's launching out into the deep. It affects other people. It affects the people closest to you. Watch this. Verse 7. In verse 7, and they beckoned unto their partners. So they, I believe that's Simon and Andrew in their boat, they couldn't bring the fishes in. There are too many. Verse 7, they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. So they, if I'm understanding it right, James and John, they're still in their ship on the shore and they're they're saying, guys, come out here. You got to see this. So they were out there all night and caught nothing. That's what happens when you try to do it your way, right? I believe that's what Jesus is showing these guys. You were out there all night doing it your way and got nowhere. Now, if you just do it my way, you'll get somewhere. Things will work out a whole lot better if you do it my way. So Peter and Let's say Simon because that's, that's who he was at this point. Simon and Andrew say, James, John, you got to see this. We need your help. It says, and they came, verse 7, and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. There wasn't room enough to receive it. What does it say in Ephesians 3? Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. Oh, if you just do it God's way. If you just get to know the love of Christ that passeth all knowledge, right? And be filled with the fullness of God. That's Ephesians 3. There's something about about living that way that is so satisfying and fulfilling. But what Simon and Andrew are learning, their lesson of launching out into the deep and saying, well, I wouldn't do it this way, but since Lord, you said to do it this way, I'll do it. Now their experience is rubbing off on James and John. And I, I, I would love to see that happen for you as well. For the Lord personally to begin to speak in your heart, this is what I need to do. And then those changes, other people begin to see, wow, man, this is really affecting you. This The, the joy that you have, the cup is running over. And now it's... I like what one preacher said, the cup is on the table, and that cup runs over, and now the table gets a blessing. And if, the, if it continues to run over, it comes out of the cup onto the table and keeps running, and it runs off the table onto the floor. Now the floor gets a blessing. Just everybody's getting a blessing. And we need some of that. People whose hearts are just where the joy and the happiness and the peace and contentment is pouring out and the people around them can feel the difference and recognize it. Now it's affecting them and it affects the next person and the next person. It just keeps going on like that. That brings me to the third point for the sermon this morning. Learn the lesson. Learn the lesson starting in verse 8. Simon Peter, he is going to acknowledge the lesson that he's learned. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down. Sorry, I'm going to scroll then read. Verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, there is a couple lessons I believe that he learned, but but one lesson in particular I think stands, stands out here. But let me point out a couple things. Number one, you learn about the long suffering of the Lord Jesus in this passage because, as I showed you earlier, this is not the first time Jesus called these men into the ministry. This is not the first time he has presented himself to them. They were called. They, they already know that Jesus was a fantastic preacher and that he could work uh, uh, miracles and things like that. So they knew full well who they were dealing with. They already knew that this man was the Messiah. That had been presented to them. Jesus had called them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They forsook the nets, forsook the ship, but then they'd gone back. And now for Jesus to patiently get into the ship, and teach them a private and personal lesson, which is what we need, right? A private and personal walk with God. Yes, there's a public aspect to it. Yes, it will affect others around us, but there's got to be something intimate and personal between you and the Lord. And Simon is recognizing here that Jesus, I failed you. Now we see the mercy and the long suffering, the patience of Jesus. He didn't just write them off and say, hey, I tried once back there, Matthew 4, I called you. You guys went back to fishing, so I'm done with you. So many times we learn and relearn and relearn this lesson. The long suffering of God, the mercy of the Lord, it endures forever we often write ourselves off. We quit on ourselves and we think that's it. I've fallen and I'm no, of no use to the Lord. And if you just get up and keep going, you'd be surprised what Jesus will do with you. That brings me to the other lesson I think we can pull from this. And I think the lesson that is primarily in, in, in focus here, when he saw it, he says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Lord, I don't deserve to be in your presence. You're the Messiah, you're the promised one that was to come. I you have I, I'm not a faithful guy. Lord, I'm not a spiritual guy. You know what Peter's admitting what he realized here? Peter loved the fish more than Jesus. That was the problem and the lesson he learns here is even though the nets are breaking, the ships are sinking because there's so many fish, things are going so well, from a worldly aspect, from a carnal perspective. The bank account is bursting. It's going so good. But what Peter learns is it's not about how full the bank account is. It's not about how many fish are in the boat. That's not where you're gonna find true joy and satisfaction. Simon had passed on an opportunity to walk closer with the lord he had been called and now he had gone back and he wasn't taking advantage of walking with god he he wasn't even in the shallow end and he says lord i failed you i haven't put you first my focus was on the fish it's not that peter was out there living a Horribly wicked life. It's not that he had backslidden and gone living in open, habitual, presumptuous sin. It wasn't anything like that. The problem was, and the reason he admits I'm sinful, is because the fish had become more important than the Lord. Now I want you to just search your heart and answer that question honestly which is more important to you? The fish? or the Lord. Now, everybody needs to recognize what their specific calling is. Not all of us are called to quit our jobs and get into the full-time ministry. Some of you are. And this is where you have to personally, right? You're not just, I can't preach this publicly and, and, and publicly tell the crowd what every individual in the crowd is supposed to do Uh, specifically for the Lord, right? That's where you have to, after the service is done, meet with God. This is where you're probably gonna learn this on a Monday morning, not a Sunday morning, right? Where you wake up the next day and one-on-one with God, God begins to show you what you are supposed to do with your life. Now, it might be full-time ministry, quit the job, like these men had to do, but not everybody's gonna do that, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. Remember, launching out into the deep is not uh, quit your job and going out and doing you know this taking this risky step of just walking by faith to get the money and you know let God provide. It might be go go back to work, but when you go back out into the deep, do it God's way. So recognize what your specific calling in is. But let me show you something about the calling of God. In First Corinthians seven verse twenty. Paul says, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. So when you got saved, if you were married, then stay married. If you, were, if you had this kind of job, if you were a slave, in this case is what he's dealing with, then it's perfectly fine. You don't have to quit that job and get a different one. If, if that's your situation when you got saved, then abide in that. Verse 21, art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. Don't worry. That's not a bad thing. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. So if you have this ambition to, you know, get a promotion at work and that, and it works out, great. Use that. That's fine. Nothing, nothing wrong with advancing your uh, your status a little bit. That's okay. Verse twenty-two: For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. So, perspective. You can look at it from a physical worldly way and look at it from a spiritual way verse 23 ye are bought with a price be not ye the servants of men you don't have to live up to man's standards they don't own you Jesus paid for you therefore his standard is the only one you need to be concerned with verse 24 brethren let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God said so, brother Mike I don't feel that call to be in the ministry full-time i think god wants me just to work my job be a husband be a church member be a be a mother great there's nothing wrong that's not second rate If that's what god wants you to do wonderful but that's your calling therein abide with god draw as close to god as you can in that calling apply every verse god shows you to your situation not just hear it, but do the word of God as it applies to your calling. Go deeper into your relationship with God. Say, what do you mean by go deeper? Hear the word of God, do the word of God, say, Lord, I'm hanging on every word because I want to bring my life more in line with your word. I want to do it your way. I think that's the lesson that Peter is learning here. I'm going to show you something else in John chapter 21, verse number 15. I think it's interesting, the the progression you see in Peter's life here, right? It starts off, we see the initial calling in Matthew 4, Peter forsook the nets. And then in Luke 5, he gets recalled. There's a relaunch, if you will, a relaunch of Peter's walk with the Lord and, and Peter making a bona fide attempt at at fulfilling the will of God in his life. But then after the resurrection in John 21, you know what Peter did? He goes back fishing. And we don't have time to look at the whole chapter, but if you know the the story, Jesus standing on the shore hollers out to him and says, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And they do, and they catch the fish. And there's 153 fish in the net. I mean, just an amazing pull. And they're dragging it to shore and Peter... Before the boat even makes it to shore, Peter throws himself into the water, swims to the shore. He knows it's the Lord. He knows. And no doubt in Peter's mind, right? He's remembering all this saying, man, I've, I've learned this lesson before. So they sit down on the shore. They have a men's prayer breakfast. You know, Jesus cooked them breakfast there on the shore. He said, come and dine. And then this. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, notice he, he speaks personally to him. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. Now, I just want to, you know that there's three times Jesus asked, do you love me? I want to point out this particular question because Jesus doesn't repeat it like this every time. He says, lovest thou me more than these? I do not think that Jesus is asking Peter to compare himself with the other disciples. I've heard some people approach it like that. I don't think, right, it's not a contest to see if I can love Jesus more than the guy next to me. There's a massive pile of fishes on the shore. They've just pulled them to shore, 153. And if I understand right, Jesus is pointing to the fish saying, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? You love me more than these? Why would he ask him that? Because that's where it all started for Peter. Peter, are you going to go back to doing things your way, living life according to your human reasoning and logic, and trying to sort things out with your own wisdom? Or are you going to fulfill the calling and the will of God? Are you going to do it my way? Right, because when it comes to loving the Lord, this is how we express it. Jesus said, "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments." will hes not talking about the Ten Commandments from the Jewish covenant in the Old Testament. He's talking about if you—if you love me, you're going to do—you're going to live life the way I told you to. Peter, you love me more than these fish. That's the question he learned. Or that's the lesson, rather, that he learned. He had to answer that question. And by the end of this short passage, you can see in verse 19, he tells Peter how he's going to die. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Peter, I'm not done with you. You, Your heart kind of went back a little bit, but now we've got things realigned. Relaunch. Peter, launch back out into the deep. Follow me. Bringing you back to Luke chapter 5 now. And to finish this up, there's something else. After we learned the lesson, something else to this passage. Let me put it up on the screen for you. Leave it all for the Lord. Leave it all for the Lord. Verse 9 For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Peter, I'm still going to use Well, Simon, forgive me. Simon, I'm still going to use you. Fear not. What was he afraid of? That I am I'm afraid that the Lord's going to depart. I'm afraid that I'm not worthy to walk with him and to be used of him. And he says, Don't, don't fear, Simon even though, yes, you went back to the nets and the fish and the ship. Simon, I think you've learned the lesson now. I'm more important than the fish. My ways are above your ways. You're going to catch men from here on out. It's, your life is going to equate to more than just making money. You're not just going to exist. Peter, I'm going to use you. I'm going to make use of your life. He says in verse 11, and when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all and followed him. This was a relaunch. This is a relaunch. This is, these men make, can I say, re upping, if you understand that term, where you sign up again, you make another commitment. And as this new year starts, maybe some of you need to search your heart and say, "Lord, it's not that I ever hated you or purposely went away and lived in open sin. It's not that. Lord, I just got kind of complacent. I I, I fell into the rut of just doing things my way. I didn't make an active effort of applying the word of God, and Lord, I'm sorry. I I want to recommit." I want this year, I want to actively seek to do things your way. When we talk about forsaking all, leaving all for the Lord, it doesn't mean you have to give all of your possessions away. Now, please understand, if God touches your heart and you need to give something up and give something away, then by all means do so. But forsaking all for the Lord doesn't necessarily mean Losing all your possessions. People sometimes think of it like that. That's not true. Forsaking all, right, is saying everything else comes second. Lord, you're first. You're first. And in this particular case, what needed to happen to get Simon's attention is the Lord had to actually make things go well at work. And once they went well and the, and the business was prospering, that got Peter's attention to say, Phew, you know what? Doing things Jesus' way works. So what's important here is not the things, but Jesus who tells me how to make things work out. Therefore, what would be the smartest decision? Put the things second. Put Jesus First. Now, I don't know what the Lord will have to do in your life to get your attention so that you see that at the word of Jesus, the knee should bow, the will should bow, and you say, Lord, not my will, thine be done. I don't know what's going to have to happen in your life for this relaunch to take place, to say, Lord, I get it. Everything comes second. You come first. I want to end this sermon by playing you a short clip. I was going to tell the story myself but I don't think I could improve. I know I cannot improve on the way this story was told. You might know that this man recently passed away, a man named Ravi Zacharias, had a tremendous ministry. One of the best preachers I've ever heard. I love to hear his stuff, read his books. He's just he's super, was a super intelligent man. And he tells this story of Adoniram Judson, Adoniram Judson, who was a missionary to Burma. It's just a few minutes long. I've actually downloaded I'm going to play it for you. You're going to hear Ravi Zacharias telling the story of it. And you're going to hear in this story how uh, Brother Judson relaunched his life. He was raised in a minister's home. He was raised, his dad was a congregational, a congregationalist. That was the name of a denomination. He was a congregationalist pastor. And Judson was raised in a Christian home. And there was a bit of a relaunch in his life. And God had to take tremendous steps to get him back on the path. But I want you to hear this and see how it might apply to you.
1: You will begin to understand the spiritual darkness and the dilemma within. I think I have for you one of the finest illustrations to show to you how a recognition of man's lostness serves as a propelling force. The first missionary America ever sent overseas was Adoniram Judson. If you have not read his biography, please read it. One of the finest minds America has ever produced. He was so brilliant, when he was 12 years old, he was teaching the adult Sunday school class the book of Revelation from the original language. Now, if that's not intimidating, I don't know what is. (laughs) He was so brilliant that people became petrified of Mr. Judson, and rightly so. When he got into college, he made the fatal mistake of thinking he was more brilliant than God. And his intellectualism got to him till he disavowed his faith. And then he became a terror. He went to Providence College in Rhode Island. He became a terror to his classmates who were Christians because Judson was so powerful in debate that he would knock them off any of their beliefs and they would avoid him. He had a roommate, a fellow by the name of Jacob Ames. Jacob Ames and Judson became very close. Jacob Ames came into Providence College professing to believe in Christ. He graduated out of Providence College professing to be an atheist and he gave the credit to Adoniram Judson. His mother didn't know how to deal with him so she just prayed for him. Father tried to talk to him but he figured he'd knock the faith out of his own heart so he decided to leave Judson alone. Many years went by and the faculty members kept a close eye on Judson, wondering what such a genius was going to do with his life. And one day he was riding to the city of New York to be trained for theater. At the end of his interview, he was riding back to Boston and it was a long, long ride back. He was so exhausted, he stopped in at an inn and asked the manager if he could check in for the night. And the manager says, sir, we really can't give you a room. They're all full. Mr. Judson says, Mr. Manager, I'm so tired. I'm falling asleep would you let me sleep in the front hall? I'll get up before it's dawn and leave here because uh, I'm so tired. I'll pay you the price of a room. I just need to lie down. He said, Mr. Judson, I do have a room that's available, but I wasn't going to rent it out because adjacent to that room is a man who's very sick. From his body is emanating a stench of decay. He's dying and he's crying in alternate fits of stupefaction and raving and profanity. But if you want that next room and he won't bother you, I'll give it to you. Judson said, he won't bother me. But Judson lay awake at night listening to this profanity, listening to a man in untold agony crying out for help. And Judson tried to smother the sounds, tossed and turned, and gradually the sound subsided and Judson fell asleep. Next day as he was paying his bill, he said, what happened? Did the man feel better? He said, no, Mr. Judson, the man died. He died in the early hours of the morning. Judson says, out of curiosity, what do you do? A stranger's come into your inn and he dies on your hands. He said, yeah, it does pose a problem, but I'll tell you something as I've looked over his papers and trying to contact the next of kin, I cannot put together how a man of his credentials and his, his brilliance has died such an ignominious death all alone in these conditions. He was a honors graduate from Providence College in Rhode Island, Mr. Judson. His name was Jacob Ames. And Judson paused for a moment and said, what did you say his name was? And he said, his name was Jacob Ames, a Providence College graduate. Adoniram Judson in his biography entitled To the Golden Shore says this, I got onto my horse and I started to ride back and I could not see in front of me for the tears began to pour down my face. And as the tears were pouring down my face, two words were pounding into my heart as the hooves of the horse were pounding into the ground. And the two words were death Hell, death, hell, death, hell. He says, I got off my horse and knelt on the dusty road, repented bitterly of the way I had betrayed my God. For Jacob Ames now lay delivering up an account of his own soul because I had knocked out any faith that he'd had in God. He checked out of the United States and went to India, was kicked out of Calcutta and went into uh, Burma, do you know that his first wife died out of an Oriental disease her body had contracted for which she had no sense of immunization, and out of sheer loneliness he remarried. His second wife died. Three or four of his children died. His missionary colleagues died, and this man was laboring almost in a funeral director's camp, losing all of his colleagues. Till finally he himself realized he was in an awesome battle. It took him seven years to lead the first Burmese to Jesus Christ and yet if you read Don Richardson's book Eternity in Their Hearts he will tell you something that Judson did, which Burma will always be indebted to. As a matter of fact, if you go to Adonaram Judson's hometown today in Malden, Massachusetts, you see, Judson was imprisoned by the Burmese authorities because of his successful preaching of the gospel as many, many started to turn to Christ. And Judson was, was put into a boat after being imprisoned for 18 months and people could not recognize him anymore. And the Burmese authorities knew he was gonna die a few days away, so they put him in a boat to. Send him back to the United States. He never made it. He died en route back. In Malden, Massachusetts, there's a small gravestone that says, Adoniram Judson, born such and such, died such and such. The ocean is his sepulcher. The Burmese Bible is his monument. His record is on high. He translated the Bible into Burmese. His wife translated the Bible into Thai. And Don Richardson points out that in Burmese folklore, There is a grim reminder to the people that the answer, and Judson didn't know this, by the way, and Don Richardson points out that in Burmese folklore there was a belief that someday a man was going to come with a book which would have the truth in it, and Judson spent years and years and years producing that book. Death, hell, death, hell, death, hell. Unless you and I recognize that the person out there without Christ is lost, we will never carry a burden and a personal pressure within our own soul. And my friend, may I challenge you tonight to seek God for that burden. Now
0: you can hear in that story, Judson launched out into the deep, literally. Before he physically launched into the deep, the Lord got his attention through the death of his close friend whom he had corrupted. And in his heart, Judson had already launched into the deep, into a deep relationship, into a deep love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, love seeketh not her own. Love does not insist on getting its own way. And when we learn to love the Lord above all else, when we launch into that deep relationship with Jesus and His Word, then we no longer insist that, Lord, you have to make my life work out the way I want it to. Rather, it's the opposite way. We say, Lord, I want my life to work out the way you want it to. Use me in whatever way you see fit. Use my life to to fish for men, to bring others to you. Let what you've done in my life spill over to them. But Lord, I don't wanna stay in the shallow end of Christianity. I want your word to sink deep into my boat and then flow out to other people. I urge you today is the first Sunday of this new year. Let this be a relaunch into the deep, falling madly in love, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity to open the Word of God and to gather virtually as it was. Lord, I do pray that now as the program comes to an end, the sermon comes to a close, that the work of the Holy Spirit would would continue on, and that as people click off of the program and go about the rest of their day, might you speak to them and And might you give them ears to hear. And Father, might they pause long enough to hear what you have to say to them personally. Lord, if I might, I want to recommit myself, Lord. Wherever the focus has gotten off, I want it to come right back where it needs to be in every aspect of my life, every single part of it, Lord. I want it to be under the command of your precious word. Thank you for it. Thank you for you. Thank you for what you've done to make a walk with God possible. Help us in this new year to walk closer to you, to go deeper into that relationship with you than ever before. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.